So someone hits a page and you load like 160 different GIFs, like one pixel by one pixel, tiny little files. I'm I'm sorry. Say that the right way or I'm not going to let you continue. (laughs) GIF. Like giraffe. (laughs) (laughs) Like like giraffe. Yeah. (laughs) You can stop recording now. uh, We're done now. (laughs) Welcome to the Raft Podcast, Let's Fix Things where Chus and myself, Joe Fletcher, explore the world of connected experiences, spanning from connected services, platforms, and devices over industries such as transportation, smart home, logistics, healthcare, and media. Chus and I started this podcast to explore design and strategy topics in more depth coming from the projects we handle in our design consultancy. Now, on to the show. Good evening. Hey, man. So uh, today we're not going to do news. We're not going to do follow-up. We're going to get right into it because we have a guest sitting here. Uh, So we have with us uh, Hans. And Hans, if you would like to introduce yourself, feel free. Go for it. Okay. Tell us who you are. Um, I'm Hans Gerwitz, and I am a co-founder of The Artificial, which is another boutique UX agency. A current mastermind Boutique agency planning on taking over the EU. Certainly. We're going to make it sound, we're going to make it big. Certainly. Big Big things, big words, fantastic words, Hans. And we do a fair amount of product consulting for um, connected products. So, which is one of the reasons we've asked you here. And your background is strategy and technology. Is that, is that correct? Do I have that right? Yes. I've known you for a long time. I've never, I don't think I've actually ever asked you that question. I have a background in everything. (laughs) (laughs) I went to school for psychology. Then went into software engineering. Okay, nice. Then, then ended up in design strategy. All right, so you are you are pretty much a perfect person to bring here today, uh, because over the past several podcasts we have talked about privacy, we have talked about security, and designers' roles in that, and we wanted to ask you here to talk a little bit more in depth about that. Uh, given your background in technology, you know more than us about these uh, these topics. And given that you're also working on, I think you know more than you're making a lot of faces that scare me now. This is this is going to be 30 minutes of, of you just saying, eh, could be. So we wanted to have today's conversation around designers' roles in uh, situations like privacy, security, and encryption, and what that means when thinking about designing different products, whether that be software, a hardware, or ecosystems of both. I'll throw the uh, the opening question out, and this is a loaded question. Uh, we, we all Uh-oh. know this because we Uh-oh. talked about it, uh, you know, 20 minutes ago. But given that, you know, in the, in the recent years, in the last several years, we've had several hacks into larger companies. And, and the two that I'm thinking about right now, Target and Yahoo, have either recovered from these hacks or they've still managed to be sold in the case of Yahoo. And the question is, should we be concerned about personal security given that these companies have not seemed to have any significant sort of blowback or downfall at them? Is, is this important, as important as we think it may be, as we've been discussing it? My worry is that whatever data they have, they can keep, right? So it's, it's not about a hack that exposed one number, maybe it's credit card numbers or whatever, and you can block that. But personal information, once it's out there, you can't really change it. But people don't seem to care, right? I mean, I mean, there's this whole situation where, like, like we've sat here and talked about about you know, oh my God, we need to we need to handle two factor authentication in these types of situations. But you know, these companies have had these situations. Yet users are still going to Target and giving personal information. Maybe users aren't going to Yahoo that much. But if you were to look at another company, 
it doesn't seem like it's deterring people from using services. So in this case, are, are we are we making a bunch of uh, hullabaloo about nothing? I think some people care, certainly, depending on who your audience is, especially here in Europe. I also think that these large companies can weather the storm of a data breach and the PR headaches that come with it. But you know, just this week, we're seeing a bunch of attention to Vizio and that their TVs are always listening and recording. Vizio is? Okay, we've talked about the device that shall not be named. Fidget, now we can call it. With that, uh, Chris came up with that. The, the Amazon Fidget. But yes, uh, you know, that was recently subpoenaed. So I didn't know Vizio was also doing this. It, this just, just got the attention that perhaps it deserves. Okay, how long has this been going on? And, and, and Vizio, number, Vizio is still a brand? Like, I haven't seen yes. them. Is, are they just in the US? Um, I, I honestly don't know. Okay, but what, so what was but it there? It's getting attention because they were found guilty in a, I believe, a criminal case and have had to pay fines. And I think that was in U.S. court. So they're at least a U.S. brand still. Okay. Yeah, no, that's, that's where I remember them from. So, so for those who don't know, they make TVs. Um, I used to have a Vizio TV. <laughs> My point would be that we should watch to see if smaller companies can deal with these losses, deal with the PR headaches that come with it, especially for something like a TV that it's maybe a little sensitive because it's in our homes, but it's not as sensitive as, say, the security cameras that have been found to leak. What we hadn't talked about before and what's interesting is the idea that this type of, of topic may be more or less relevant for larger or smaller companies, right? Because larger companies are clearly collecting more data and are doing more with it. But yes, if somebody like, uh, you know, I'll, I'll take a company that's more midsize, right? MailChimp, which I think we both, uh, do you use MailChimp as well? Mm -hmm. okay. MailChimp. Ma MailChimp? What? <laughs> That's so, the podcast form of MailChimp. It doesn't activate when you say its name. It's like, <laughs> so if a company like that had a data breach where it's it's you know storing lots of information about clients and these types of things, then maybe in that situation it might be much more difficult for a, a client like that to recover. One of uh, one of the people who joins on Skype, uh, Cheka, sent a, a message and uh, she said, "Chus, you would know about this, but the PlayStation hack." No, PlayStation is still just as popular. Like, like as far as I know, no one stopped using PlayStation or really care. No, no, but they actually happen quite often, and they just—they also seem to center around the times when PlayStation is going to be used most, like Christmas holidays and whatever. And I'm—I'm I'm not sure, but it just feels like disgruntled users of a certain group that like to play games and are unhappy with how Sony is uh, is handling things, and it just happens around the times when they're trying to make big bucks. So. Somehow doesn't feel like it is about stealing data. It feels more like it's about interrupting service. Okay, so 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 PlayStation, Target, Yahoo, all large companies. Hans, what you said about smaller companies maybe having more problems, you know, weathering these types of storms. This goes into another question of what role may a designer need to play in these types of situations, and we, and this is what we've been talking about, and this is sort of the the crux of the conversation, is that do designers need to have an awareness of something like privacy or personal information that a company is collecting. Does that, you know, designers really never think about the privacy policy. They're just like, yeah, it's a screen that has a bunch of words in it. And they think that, oh, I'm collecting information. Maybe I can make a more personalized experience for somebody. But this is, you know, do designers have either an ethical role in this about thinking through this? And I'm, I'm, I'm using words that are getting you supercharged here. An, an, <laughs> an ethical role or do they have a, a tools role where they should understand what they're collecting and how it's being used? I think we have at least three obligations that answer your question, yes. Did you prepare these? 
No. Okay, I like that you had three. I, was, I came up with them while I was making my faces. <laughs> On one hand, of course, we need to represent the user's interests to our clients, to the business people, etc. So we need to be able to say users are concerned or this is how you can earn a user's trust. And it may be that that's not always the case that users are concerned, but it's a question we have to at least ask. We have to at least think about it certainly varies based on industry. We can get into, into that later. I think that a second obligation is to prepare for our business customers kind of coming up with things like privacy policies. I think the privacy policy is a great example. And the, the ULAs, the end user license agreements, these are things that when you design the perfect experience of signing up for an account or using a product, you may not think much about. And then lo and behold, there's a business requirement from the lawyers that says we need to do this. And you end up jamming another screen in or putting a little more clutter, yet another checkbox, and it no longer is your clean intent preserved. Does clean matter if it's clear? I mean, that's one of the bigger problems, right? Is that like, so for example, if I use Facebook's login to do something, I actually don't know what, and, and this is me speaking as someone who's decently you know, interested in these topics. I actually don't know what, what information is being passed. I don't know what Facebook passes through that, through that login. And so when you have situations like that, should, should designers be actually reading the privacy policy that they are putting in front of a user and asking to sign? That, well, that would go to my third point, which ah. is, yes, we have an obligation to the users that we are designing for to not just earn their trust and gain them as a consumer, but to actually educate them. There's, you know, we'll hear this a lot from Americans with the current political climate, but there is no such thing as neutral. If you decide to ignore privacy and security when designing a user experience, then you've decided it's not important. I, I think that comes back to what we were talking about a couple episodes ago, like the privacy by design, right? So we, we just had a discussion before we started the episode about Chrome now highlighting when your HTTP connection is not secure and and they have from a technical point decided that that is a, a hazard for you at that point in time, but they offer you no solution right there. And of course, from the Chrome perspective, I get that, but from designer perspective, what I'm seeing happening is that Chrome is sort of bullying whatever software service provider into solving their problems while the user is in the middle of that fight. It's like divorced parents fighting and, and the kid has no idea what to, what to do to protect himself. Some designer, maybe it was an engineer, I don't know, engineer designer working at Chrome was probably like, hey, this is a great idea. Or, you know, probably somebody, either, you know, deeper down said like, we need to highlight this. And then someone said, well, this is how we're going to do it, right? So in that case, when you do have something like Facebook login and it passes information, should I should I like get a list of what that information is then? If we're trying to educate the user, because it seems like, uh, and 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 Hans, this is this is a point to you about taking care of the user. Education takes time. Education takes caring. And so many of the times, what we've seen is that users will trade off uh, convenience for for privacy. Right, as long as something is convenient, and give me convenience or give me death. Right, as like as long as that thing is convenient, I'll give you what information you want. And if we try to put up more education, maybe while that's the right thing to do, it actually impedes the experience. So, so, so how do you how do you see that? I I don't disagree. Many times you'll have to choose during design to subdue kind of the the messaging and the preaching that you're doing to the user, but that may change over time. And there's many factors here. So. 
We, of course, all here in this room often design apps for mobile and operating systems will change. And Android has over time gone from a much more laissez-faire, just grants all the permissions up front when an app loads and people just choose convenience and say, okay, to becoming much more kind of intentional about saying what we're going to expose when. And this has implications when you're designing the experience, you have to be prepared to have the operating system throw up a warning. So as a fellow, maybe not paranoid, but maybe yes, <laughs> yes. I was lucky enough to be at a startup pitch session. And there was a certain startup that it was for the, for the marketing and advertising sector. So they live in the social life of the user and user profiling is all the hype right now, combining user profiling and artificial intelligence to provide, as they say, contextually aware advertisements. So making the advertisements hit the people that will click them, that is still what advertising is about. It's always been like that, but there's now more and more tools coming out. And I learned about this one startup that had a very special technology, which was it did image tagging for figuring out what was in the images, but the images that were being tagged was actually the user's camera roll. And they were not making an app, but they were making capabilities that designers or larger companies could integrate in their apps. Meaning when you install this app, it will ask you for access to the camera roll, which I think, this is just my opinion, but I think most users will feel that is to maybe be able to post a photo or to save a photo to your phone. While actually what is happening is they are opening your camera roll and in the background are doing a, a quick scan of your life to see, does he have kids? Does he like cars? Does he like to go out? Whatever, and makes a whole profile about the user. What I find interesting is that what Hans was just hinting at is that Android went from a yes, I agree to all of these things in one go to a more piecemeal approach where you are even able to, at a later point, revoke certain permissions. If you're like, okay, Facebook, now you've gone too far. I'm pulling uh, the location data. But you still don't know what's being sent there or what it's being used for. So I think we're still a step behind in that respect. Did the company say anything about that? I mean, because again, it's, it's, it's sort of a bait and switch, right? You, you put something in and then you do something else. It was the company like, yes, we know we're screwing over users or were they like, no, 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 we're, we're benefit. Because oftentimes this type of collection of information is presented as a benefit, right? I mean, everything, you know, Facebook is one of the major offenders here about collecting every possible thing they can, but it's presented as a benefit because it makes your feed better. Yeah, but there's a difference there as well. Most of the stuff that is being used for, for profiling is stuff that you put there to share with people. So people includes Facebook as a company itself. And maybe they're using some other data from your phone. But the difference here is that it is really going into a, a set of files that you might have seen as, as private. And no, they weren't saying that it was uh, at, at a detriment of the user because, of course, they're selling this to companies who would love to get a deeper insight into their users. And it's always been like that in advertising. I think you're right to call us paranoids. And I think we are right to be paranoids because we should represent the user to the businesses that we work with that are actually developing and, and building products. And if I had a client ask for camera roll access in an application we were developing, I would want to know why. And I would want to kind of be the user that says, you need to explain that benefit to me. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I, I like that perspective because I, I do always want to consider ethics. Before we started recording, Joe was referring to the ThingsCon conference where we heard a talk about this lady was making a point that she designed these experiences that were really tailored to the user. And then now a few years later, when she's more aware of security and privacy concerns, she's like, I was actually part of that whole wave being thought up. And the normalization of that in the eyes of the companies of, of using this data, but then storing it and maybe in hacks losing it, right? Because it, there, there's multiple things that can happen to personal data. And one of them is the company that is aggregating it, using it for what they want to use it for. But then they also resell this data, some of these companies, many of these companies, I can tell. And then there's the, the hacking layer to that. So she was becoming aware of, as a designer, I might have been at the forefront of this curve and I wanted it because I didn't realize what that would mean later on. And today she may be at the forefront of users especially, but I think that as designers we're right to be the paranoid user that's going to prepare the company so that three years from now, if it happens that users start asking, hey, why did you want to know that? Why did you get access to my photos? Why did you ask me for you know the names of my kids? That they, they haven't kind of created this debt of yeah. data over time with their users. Right, and it doesn't disappear. Once it is on the net, yes. it can go places and it will so stay. So that way we represent the future user. Yeah. So, so, so let me play the other side of this, which is I'll, I'll use Facebook as an example, just because it's it's a giant behemoth. They collect information and they use that information. Of, you know, their whole their business is selling ads, but they use that information to make what you see in theory more pleasurable, right? More tailored to you, so that you use it more. And again, in theory, the idea is you like what you see more. So then, first. Is it bad from a designer point of view? Because, you know, clearly there are designers in here who are thinking, how do we get people to spend more time on this platform because they need to sell money to continue? And if they don't think like this, then the company may not, you know, Facebook may not have users spending as much time on there looking at ads and thus may start to have problems or, you know, may shrink in revenue. or so. So at what point do you represent the user from a real point of view or what point are you representing the point uh, of view of the user from the company, please use my product. I want to do everything I can to use, to use that product. I don't think there's a simple answer, but I think that's a, it's good, a conversation. <laughs> it's a, a good summary of an ethical dilemma for our profession right now in that, you know, we, we influence users at least perception and optimistically perhaps behavior and with that, we can make them better informed, better aware citizens, or we can make them more effective consumers. And of course, a lot of people may care more to make them into consumers. And we have to consider as individuals whether to what extent we're okay with that. I like, I like the difference of consumer versus citizen. <laughs> <laughs> you can't be both. Pick one. So, so to, to that end, how much uh, do both of you feel that Designers should be equipped with an understanding of, let's say, I mean, we talked about understanding maybe a privacy policy, but understanding what personal privacy means as far as, again, what information is being collected. How much should designers educate themselves? What should they do as far as educating themselves on security? So should a designer walk in and talk to the development team on like, hey, you know, I see you're just using a password. Should we be using two-factor authentication for this? 
or I see that you know you're you're using a biometric device for this. Have you thought about the implications, or have you looked at other things? Did you just take the first step? Because I think a lot of designers don't necessarily equip themselves with knowledge of security encryption. If you're like, hey, do you use a VPN? I think most people are going to be like, oh, no. Yet, Chus, I know you and I and Hans. I'm guessing you. Like whenever I travel, I almost always turn it on. Right? I don't know if you do, Hans, but I think I think both Chus and I do. Should designers be educating themselves more where, where an interaction designer educates themselves on the tools of interaction design? Should all designers be understanding these aspects? I, I think to, to grab back uh, the topic that Hans said before, where you as a designer have an ethical responsibility. If I'm thinking of all of the other groups that are involved with building any experience or sponsoring that experience, it may not be an app, a website, or whatever we're talking about, I think the designers are the ones that should mostly be concerned by this because the other groups have very other interests. We might find a certain experience beautiful, but we're the ones also thinking about the ethic or should be thinking about the ethical effects of that. Whereas I can imagine that from a development point of view, you can make something fully secure, but that doesn't mean that from an ethical point, the data that is going through the fully secured connection is, is the correct data, but you won't care about that because that's not your responsibility technically. I think we absolutely do need to understand even if there's not an ethical cause, though I believe there is, I think that we have to design experiences that work for users. And some of them do have concerns about both security and privacy. And anytime we're designing for something, we need to understand a layer of abstraction lower than we're asking the user to understand. A layer of abstraction lower or higher? Um, I would say, I would call it lower. So I think it's Joel Spolsky. He's big in the world of development. He has this concept of the leaky abstraction, that so much of what we do in software is about taking complex things and simplifying them, and then taking that simple layer and building an even simpler layer on top of it. And, you know, effectively, computers are extremely complex at the base, and we try to make them as simple as possible at the top. But no matter what layer you're interacting with, there's always going to be something from the layer below that kind of leaks through. So even if you think you're just designing a simple photo management app, you're going to accidentally make decisions that the user can kind of see that you've asked for access to their photo library, for example. I'm glad you explained that because it, 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 yeah, it, it, you know, it gave it a lot more sort of detail or color that I, that I think that I, that I had no clue about. And this could be a question you just say, yep, this is a dilemma. Don't know. But in the situation where if you do something like two-factor authentication, which is often like I, I, I enabled it on Gmail, but it's turned off by default. If you were to go down the route of saying, hey, look, you know what, from a, from a strategy point of view, we see more governments getting involved in data collection. So it behooves individual users to protect their own data. And in order to do that, we will help you by enabling these features or turning these features on, right? Whatever this could be. But in order to do that, what we, what we said at the beginning is oftentimes this type of security is at the opposite end of simplicity. And so if it comes at a point of users then get cranky at your application or your design, then do you back off on the ethical side? Because you're like, well, you know what? Damn it. I tried to help you guys, but you didn't want it. Do you see any sort of thoughts on that? I think you do back off or you allow the user to back off in some circumstances. There are going to be cases in finance and in health 
and in family management where you want to force the user into more security than they may be asked for. But there's also going to be cases where the user is going to say, you know, I really just want to have a four number pin as my passcode. That's good enough for me. Or it's okay for me to just swipe a shape on this grid of nine dots. That's good enough for me. And in many cases, we'll end up honoring that. I would rather kind of back into honoring that after going a little bit too far. But yeah, I do think that those cases exist for sure. I think it's like any negotiation, right? You always go like lower than where you are okay with ending up and then you hope you end up where you want to. So same with security. We'll probably won't end up making everybody use two-factor authentication everywhere. But if we get it to happen, at least in the places where we think it's really important, then we at least have little successes. And if we begin to kind of make it at least an option, at least make it available in more and more apps, for example, then you'll start to see browser makers wondering whether they should add two-factor features into the browser's model. Or you'll see things like Touch ID on the iOS platform. You'll see maybe these things could emerge because they're needed, not because a benevolent operating system provider saw the need first. So, so what you just said is an interesting idea, whereas, like, let's say if, if designers were to collectively push for this more, maybe that would spur education, which would spur users being more interested in it, which would then start a flywheel of when people are doing, you know, feature requirements, they're saying, hey, we need to think more seriously about this rather than like, yeah, yeah, it's a pin or, well, the default, I think for everybody is just like, it's a password. And then there's a reset password. And, and for, I've actually had passwords that won't let me use complex characters like underscores and slashes. So there's actually a developer or a designer that said, no, 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 we don't want to make it too complex. I am of the opinion that like corporate email password requirements make for less secure passwords because people start to figure ways around like every three months or every six months they need to change. And there's this bunch of rules and people figure out the worst ways of applying by those rules. I just always counted. I just always put a word and then counted up by a consecutive integer. It was like- <laughs> Case in point. Thank yes. you. Which can be defeated by a very simple script, not even Shh. a smart one. I've been listening to my Security Now podcast, which tells me that what, what, what is it like a series of, you know, random letters, numbers, and characters is always stronger or almost always than a set of words. But just the idea would have to be like 10 randomly picked words that had nothing to do with each other, you know, in order to get like the same as an eight digit long string, sorry, character long string that had all different characters in it picked randomly. This all should be a moot point by now. It's 2017 and every platform we use has very good password managers available. They, you know, they're beginning to be built into the OSs. When the browser offers to set a password for you, you should say yes and let it choose something long and obscure. What, what do you use for your password manager? I'm a huge fan of 1Password. Okay, that's what we use as well. Yeah, I was, I was curious if there was anything different. Today's podcast sponsor, 1Password. One one well, and and, and, and MailChimp. I, <laughs> I have a feature request then. I want to delay after the, the vault visually opens and me being able to type what I need. I want that to be gone. It's much faster when you have one of these nice new MacBooks and you use Touch ID. My MacBook is missing keys on it. <laughs> I'm not allowed to have a new one because I just do email. I thought that worn out S was where you authenticate. <laughs> That's my password. It only has A, S, and E in it. <laughs> Followed by a consecutive integer. <laughs> uh, 
Okay, I think um, uh, to to wrap up, you know, Hans, uh, thinking about this from since you're the official person that had the the title of strategy at one point in your time, I'm laughing at asses. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Since you're the person who had the strategy, uh, you know, when we look out and we look at EU regulations and especially what's happening in the US, do you see any big changes that we should be prepared for in the next three years? Do you think that I'm going to ignore net neutrality for a second because that's a whole other conversation. But within privacy, do you do you see it, you know, becoming more important because there's going to be more government, you know, sort of pushing into things or or what's your read on this? I think, well, in the U.S., we're going to see nothing but deregulation. Yeah. Europe, I think that, yes, we'll see a little bit more um, around right to forget. There's a lot of drama to come on that. Uh, say a little bit more about that because I because I don't know much about I mean I know a little bit about that but I'm not sure also uh, listeners may know about that either. There's German law now that I believe has even been tested in their courts that a consumer should have the rights to have their data deleted, and that has been interpreted to even mean that you should be able to wipe any mention of you from Google, for example, which is extremely difficult to actually do. So. Some of those laws are going to back out, but other countries are going to gain them. I think that the EU is going to kind of standardize some of them, but it's, I'm not sure it's going to get more regulated, but it's going to be constantly changing in the next few years. And I also think that consumer interest is going to change. And we've talked a lot about what users want, but we're all as designers who are in agencies, we're also consultants to businesses. And we owe it to our clients to kind of educate them that even if they don't think that security and privacy are important today, that they they have concerns. I have I have a good anecdote for that, if it's okay. Oh, you please, please. <laughs> so a lot of our clients are in healthcare, and some of them are B2B. And in both of those cases, it's kind of taken for granted that you need to worry a lot about data security. But we had a small startup that is in building automation, let's say. So they do HVAC systems. And to them, the fact that your the fans are running in your home is kind of really boring metadata, and there's no reason to really worry about security to that until we outlined for them the scenario that it could be used to detect when people were home or not. And if it was easy for you to sniff the smart home and see when someone was home or not, that's a security risk. And Simply having that scenario in their head has changed their mindset as to security. I think the, the smart home is a whole nother box of of, of chocolate uh, uh, of what chocolate? Cho- no, not chocolate of, of of horrible, horrible, moldy chocolate that has security problems. Hans, the the one thing that you said about the U.S. becoming more de- deregulated, which I, I think yes, we we see that coming. You could look at actually look to emerging markets to see some of this. So so in Southeast Asia, where they spend a bunch of time, and there's India, you can do you know DPI or deep packet inspection on things to collect more data, which companies are doing to then either utilize it for advertising or sales or sell it to other companies. And so that that may increase the need or awareness for individual users to protect their own data or at least understand what is being allowed by companies and what they are collecting and what they can potentially collect. So I, I think with that, Hans, thank you for being here and thank you for taking your time because it did take us a while to get set up and, and moving. Any last words for us? Stay safe. Hans, Chris, thank you. Good night. Bye, man. Bye.